are again. Another episode of Knife Making Down Under. Um, we've got Corin and Mert with us again today. And hopefully for the next hour or so, we'll be able to entertain you guys with some informative talk. Um, otherwise, we'll just talk and you can listen anyway. How yeah. are you guys going today? Uh, look, to be honest, mate, I'm a little bit uh, under the pump, quite stressed, and uh, I reckon I'd rather be at home in the shed. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of the same, but I think I'd rather be somewhere at a job. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've been in the shed under the pump stressed, and uh, yeah, I've got to admit, this is probably the first show I've ever um, got to that point this far out from a show being a few days. Well, I'm really over it. <laughs> what happens is when you when you work in the shed for so long all by yourself and under the pump, you start to get cabin fever because I realize I take my kids to school in the morning, then I'm in the shed, I'm by myself, just working and you start to get crazy. Yeah. Or is it just you, you get to, <laughs> you, no, well, at least you get to take the kids out, mate. I just go straight from the house up to the workshop. Yeah, man, it's it's like you're by yourself, you're in the shed, and you. I have a, I have a board that I have my prep list, and I'm looking at it over and over again, and I'm I can't I can't read. Like I I've written some things, and I'm looking at it. Have I done it? Have I updated it? What time is it? What day it is? And you you're losing the count of the days, and yeah, it's been a it's been a rather stressful show prep for me too. I uh, I sit on the other yeah. side of the fence here now, so I um. I deal with the day-to-day stress of, of what I do within this business as as, as a general manager. Um, I used to prepare for the shows. I used to do all that myself uh, in my spare time because the shows were so small and so forth. But these days, I can't keep up. We take a full truck. We've got actually two trucks going over there with gear to the, to the Sydney Knife Show. And um, there's no way I could do it by myself. So I don't get involved at all. I pay other people to do it. So they're running around pulling their hair out, stressed out. I've got key people sitting there editing podcasts that should be doing that. So that's making the others angry. So I'm kind of dealing with that, uh, that passive-aggressive hatred of uh, <laughs> show preparation whilst I myself am, <laughs> am pulling my hair out about business management issues. So, yeah, look, I, 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 see you, I see your points, but at the end of the day, it's your own business and what you do is what you do. And, I mean, let's, let's be honest, guys. Shows are fantastic to get in front of people and to represent what you do. But if you go to a show with nothing at all, Kev, you can still sit there and talk about your courses. Mert, same deal. You run that. Oh, you know. Yeah, man. Yeah. So, so at the end of the day, I, I had actually. You can actually I, sell. I had actually. Oh, sorry. Yeah, go for yeah, it. You're all right. <laughs> yeah, stop talking while I'm interrupting. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was going to say, I actually had that thought earlier on after when I got back from Blade Show. Um, you know, I might have a table with four knives and just sit there and really friggin' enjoy it. Like, absolutely enjoy it because there's not that post uh, pre show lead up of insane stress late nights and, you know, sort of worrying whether you, what you're making is going to be appealing. It's like, screw it, I've got four knives made. I'm just going to take them and just do nothing. Uh, but I didn't do that in the end. I, I started working on a lot more knives. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, Blade, we all Blade, do that. Blade Show. We all so, say we're going to take five and end up with twenty. And that Blade Show, anyway, <laughs> you sold out in the first in the first um, the first sort of day, wasn't it? That you sold out. 
Yeah, yeah, that was it. Yeah, that was good. So that was the same sort of thing where at least at Blade Show, though, when you're over there, um, if you do sell what you've got, you can just disappear and um, go and see everything. Whereas I think, it, like I said, because it's home country and I do promote my courses and stuff, you've, even if you sell all your knives, you've got to sit there um, and talk to people as they come past. And don't tell me you don't love it. That's half the half the beauty of a knife show is the, the social aspect, as far as I'm concerned, anyway. Oh, absolutely. Plus, plus, you tell the people that you're going to be there on the weekend and you sell out, and if you pack your pack your stuff, and we'll be like, people will be coming to the table, and I thought Kev was here. I was pretty amazed how many people pulled out at the knife shows with little signs on their table, at Blade Show, sorry, with little knives on uh, Sorry. I was surprised how many people at Blade Show just abandoned their tables after they sold out. Had a little note there, sold out, see you next year. And I, I kind of thought, find, found that a bit strange because if you're paying that much money to be at a show, you would think there would be a benefit to sitting there even with just pictures of your knives to show people, you know, so that you can talk about yeah. what you can make for them and custom knives because, I mean, why cut it off? Why say, I've sold all my product, therefore I can't do any more? But you understand, I'm coming from a sales background. I've never worked in a job in sales where you sell out, uh, you just sit down and stop working. That's just not the way it works. You try and sell more, you take orders, you you um, look at other products you might be able to offer or uh, conversations and networking that you might be able to do that's going to set you up for the next uh well, I, I don't think I don't think a lot of people left corner. I think even the ones that had the sold out thank you sign, they're in the room. They're checking other makers' work, or they're introducing some themselves to the new makers, and they're meeting the other people that they keep seeing their work on social media, but they don't know them in person. So I think a lot of the guys who even sold out, they were in the room. Myself and Kev was included. I mean, we we were lucky enough to sell out in the first day, but we were just going through the tables and checking other makers work and meeting other other makers i think that's what a lot of the guys were doing uh, yeah you're probably right but it w- to me it would be worth having a pull-up banner or a few photographs of your work and some stuff there some business cards even if you're not at the table a display that of things like that that are going to um, show people you were there and and what you do make so that if they like the look of your work and they missed you out then next year they can put you on the top of the list to visit when they come yeah maybe sure. yeah you know yeah. At, at the end and, of the, from, at, the, at the end of the day people who sell knives uh, people who make knives aren't salesmen so it's kind of i get that too yeah yeah and in the states it's one of those things again where you've got a lot of international people going to blade show it's that catch 22 as a maker do you leave your table and go and get the opportunity which you might not normally do to catch up and say good day or do you wait for, you know, randoms like me to come up and say, oh, I finally get a chance to meet you, you know. I've followed your work on Instagram for years. So I can see it both ways, but Sydney's a bit different. Like I said, it's much smaller, um, still a big show in the in the scheme of things, but much smaller. And, yeah, I think um, you could almost leave a back-in-15-minute sign at Sydney if you sold out and come back and be there to talk to people if they wanted to meet you. It's much easier at Sydney. If you do the calculations on Blade Show, there's, um, there's about 3,000 ta- tables, something like that. You have about about 45 seconds per table to um, to have a look at everything. So you can't spend longer than 45 seconds at any table if you want to see everything in the rooms. And I say rooms because yeah. for those in Australia that haven't been to Blade Show, uh, now there's two rooms at Blade Show 
And uh, the, the second room is probably bigger than Sydney Knife Show. In fact, it, I'd say it is. Um, yeah, it is. You know, it's, um, it's, it's incredible. It's an incredible situation. So anyway, what do you do? I'm pretty proud of the Sydney Knife Show. It's a great event, but, um, but Blade's just oh, another level. Oh, and I mean, yeah. I've been to Seki as well, as has Kev, and uh, Seki Knife Show, and different again. Yeah, the Seki Knife Show was um, kind of crazy. It was um, for those who might not have been there as well. Um, reasonably small room, not much space between the tables, and and heaps and heaps and heaps of people in there. And it was like at one point where I was at the Seki Show, I just couldn't be bothered anymore trying to see tables. So I left and went outside. Um, and then there's a whole outdoor festival area. It's like a kilometre and a half long. And it's just jam-packed with, you know, what they say, like there was 20,000 people in the street at one time. Um, so, it's yeah, it's pretty amazing when you go over and see um, what happens in different sort of countries and cultures with knife shows. Yeah, that's um, for those that live in a tent, Seki's in Japan. Uh, so it's a little regional town that's very famous for knife making. It's outside of the major cities, a couple of trains to get up there. Um, and the last train's kind of a, a more of a little rail tram, Kev. Yeah. You but, go from, we went from the Shinkansen to a standard train to a, um, yeah, like a 1920s carriage from some somewhere, San Francisco tram. Yeah. yeah, it was pretty nice. I really liked Seki. I thought yeah. it was good. I'd go back there in a heartbeat. I'm off to Paris, obviously, and um, go to Paris, the Paris Knife Shows. There's two on there in uh, September, so I'll go to those. And I'll report yeah. back accordingly. Yeah. So, hey, so, Mert. Yes. How's your show prep going? What are, what are, you, what are you doing at the moment? Oh, I... I don't know what I'm doing, to be honest, man. <laughs> so when, when, when we talked, Kev, if you remember, a month ago, I was saying, look, man, I'm just going to make eight knives. That's it. And every show is unique. Every show has a different clientele. And when I did my previous shows in Sydney, I, was, I had an idea of what to bring. And I was just thinking, I'll just make those knives. And But what happens is, if I make more simpler knives, smaller chef knives, they tend to sell in Sydney. But... If I don't end up selling them, I have more simple stuff that available for sale on my website than I would like to have. So it feels like it feels like I'm not pushing myself, especially after being blade and seeing those great pieces. I was like, okay, change the plans. I'm not gonna do it. I'm gonna do some more other stuff. And lately, like last week, I've been working on one knife. Took my whole week, and I haven't even finished it yet. So I've been doing more complex stuff. I finished about seven knives and I have five more to go, but every day it comes to closer to the Sydney show date. I'm like, yeah, it'll be 12, maybe 11, maybe 10. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 have some, I have some complex stuff built. I, I'm doing uh, two integral Damascus ones. One of them is a feather integral. The other one is just random pattern integral. I also did a Damasteel integral. So I bought a bar of Damasteel a while ago and... I forged two knives of it. One, uh, one was unfortunately not. It wasn't good, so I had a little bit of crack, and it was going through, so I had to ditch it. And the second one was a good, so I'm trying to finish damaged integral. And I also made a knife out of a wood steel, so I'm trying to finish that as well. So I got, I got a bit going on, under the pump, big time. Forging damaged yeah, steel. Yeah, no, it's all right. 
What was that, Corey? Forging Dharma Steel. Yes. So you bought the, the forgeable bar? Yes, I bought the round bar. I think it was 33 millimeter uh, thick. Yeah. So it, it's not easy. And I have, a, I have a 25 kilo power hammer, so it's 55 pounder. Uh, it's, it's good. It obviously does a lot more than what my hand can do, but the damaged steel, especially if stainless steel doesn't move as easy as simple carbon steels. Like some people complain, some when people go from simple 10 series carbon steel to 50 to 100 and they see how stiff under the hammer 50 to 100 is. So when you go from 50 to 100 to a stainless, a forging stainless, that's even another uh, degree harder because steel doesn't move much and has a very short working window. If you go too hot, whole thing crumbles. And if you go too cold, and obviously it's an air hardening steel, and you're, you're pretty much beating a hardening steel, which is not good for the structural integrity of it. Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. You could have a set of jewels to do that anyway, I reckon. Forge damage steel. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they go with the reverse correlation with the brain. Like, uh, yeah. $700 <laughs> worth of steel, I'm going to make something out of it or like yeah that's that's not the smartest way of doing business but i just want to do something a bit more challenging than just making something simpler i guess yeah not fair the enough. best business decision how was your show going kev show prep going oh uh, yeah yeah look it, it's it's progressing along um slower than i'd like it to but still fast enough to get me some stock to go um yesterday i had planned to do some leather work because I've, for the most part, finished the knives. And then I'd planned to do some leather work yesterday and I, I set up and just drew out my templates because I don't often have the same sized um, sheath for the knives that I make. So drew out my templates, popped them onto the leather, drew it all out, cut out about eight sheaths and then realized I'd put my template on upside down and they were all going to be left-handed. <sighs> Oh. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, situation normal. I had one of those moments. <laughs> um, the good, the good thing is now I've got eight left-handed sheaths of varying size. Um, if someone does come to my table and want to buy one of my nice ambidextrous knives and wants a left-handed sheath, I can knock one up pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. Any so, chance yeah. to salvage them, Kev? Any any chance to salvage those those pieces, oh, or they just they yeah. just left-handed? No, um, if I do them the current style, um, they'll be left-handed, but I can vary the style slightly and I'll get away with making them um, right-handed. But um, I'll just leave them aside for now. It's not the end of the world. I've got plenty of leather there. Um, it was just one of those moments where I wasn't sure whether to, you know, scream or laugh or cry or um, whatever. So I just got on with it and um, spent the whole day um, cutting dying and um, doing stitching my sheaths and finished up at about nine o'clock last night or something. So it felt good because I got everything done in a day, but there was a good section of that morning, which was written off. So yeah, I'm, I'm going all right. I've got a good range of hunting knives. I've got a few kitchen knives. Um, I'll, I'll have probably close to a standard sort of knife show table for me. So I'm, I'm pretty happy with where it's at. How many, how many you mean like uh, for those people who don't know how many you have to bring? What's what's your average table? Ah, uh, look, my my average knife show table would be, I'd probably have twenty knives. Okay. Uh, which is a lot, and and you know, it's because of the the way I've always made knives. I tend to do um, a larger volume of knives 
in one go. Um, and kind of what you're talking about, I haven't I haven't branched out into doing anything um, overly complicated, especially this time because I literally had two weeks from from Blade Show to here, um, and and I, I had no knives when I came home. So um, I'm sort of being conservative to a degree, but getting stuff done. Is there any special projects you bring in or anything that for any any special stuff you'll have on your table that's something that you haven't done before? Any special timber or any special steel that you're working with this time? Yeah, look, I've got um, I'm, I'm a bit of a hoarder from a lot of the past shows. I've been going over to Takapu Steel and um, buying their stuff and not really doing anything with it. Um, and I had a um, I've got a custom order at the show last year actually and the guy wanted it delivered this year so I'm using some of the Vitoku stainless clad um, sand my steel for a set of kitchen knives um, they are pretty special but I'm not going to reveal just yet um, what is special about them other than to say that I think I'm the first person in the world to use a particular handle material that um, that will be on them He's oh, on, man. Come on, man. Give, That's give a it up. big call. You're about to use no, Bunnings. No, 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 no. That's a big no, call. I can't, I can't give you. Burl, you? <laughs> <laughs> what do you got? I you... got a nice piece of um, a couple of knots out of some walnut from Bunnings, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Bunnings, <well. laughs> Stabilised with sausage fat. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. No, honestly, no, um, it was a, yeah, they're, they're, um, very nice, very thin, very, very nice knives. Matt, I've got you next to me at the show, and I'm going to show you because I want to get your feedback because stuff that you've given me advice-wise, um, as well as people like, say, Chad from Tristone Blades, um, stuff that I've picked up from you guys but, you know, just put it into the storage bank and not done a lot with it, I've actually applied to these this set of knives, and um, I'm pretty stoked with them. I think they're the best that I've done so far. I'm looking um, forward to see them, mate. Yeah, you can be as critical as you like. Just remember we're sharing a room. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's a, that brings up two interesting points. The first is that his name's Chattels and it's Tristoni. The second is... <laughs> the, the, the second is when people, other knife makers, show you their knives and, um, I don't know, I can't... I can't pick up a knife and handle it when someone's giving it to me to look at. I can't pick it up and handle it and not see what's there, you know. And it's, so it's, sometimes it's a very awkward conversation because they're really proud and super stoked. And I look at it and think, oh, geez, look at the gap or or look at those profiling marks along the spine or whatever. And, you know, it's a, it, it can be quite difficult to give good feedback and not be sort of rude. Do you find that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Look, I was um, I was state rep for Sydney and New South Wales for the Knife Makers Guild um, for a period of time that I can't remember. Um, and you you just had to be um, black and white with people, like not not rude, but um, pointing stuff. In my view, pointing stuff out that's not right, or you know, is got gaps or whatever, provided you don't sort of call them names while you're doing it and then laugh and throw the knife down. If you're doing it in a constructive way that's going to help that person improve, if they take your advice on board, um, you know, that's you've just got to have those conversations. And I, I 
um, failed a few people on the guild assessment stuff because we had a standards document to go by and their stuff didn't meet that mark. But what I tended to do, especially with those, because it was normally people sending me knives and then me communicating um, electronically was I'd tell them, you know, you haven't passed and give me a few minutes and I'll show you why. And then I'd take a series of photos of the things that failed, tell them what failed and how they can fix it. So if you're at that level where you can give constructive feedback to someone and then say, you know, have you thought about doing this as a different technique, you'll get a better result. You know, if someone's not going to take that advice on board, then good luck. If they cry, well, that's unfortunate. Sometimes that stuff happens. <laughs> but as, as, a maker, as a maker, don't you think, like, if you're handing a knife, a knife to someone, as a maker, if there's anything not wrong with it, you'll be the first person to know about it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and... And, and also depends you... on how, how honest you want me to be. Like, sometimes I get asked, like, what do you think about it? And if it's someone like a close friend like yourself, and I'll be saying everything exactly the way it's supposed to be. But if, if a stranger comes in, I'm, I'm going to go a little bit easy and lighter on them. Yeah. Because I know no. you're not going to, if, even, if I, if, even if I pick on you, you're not, going to, you're not going to be offended. But although we're sharing a room and I tend to fall asleep, earlier so oh, I have to be no that's where, that, <laughs> mate, that's where you're wrong i will be absolutely offended and i'm going to stalk you until you fall asleep and i'm going to jump on you and and give you a live feed well I, I, <laughs> we're still on for the live feed aren't we kev it's all planned as planned <laughs> that is planned yeah. yeah no worries at all well you still doing the tea bagging yeah, Matt's getting a little bit worried. Yeah, yeah, just a little. Yeah. No, it's a funny thing. Like I said, if the other side of it is, if I hand someone a knife like Mert, um, and I know there's stuff wrong with it, I expect him to pick that stuff up. That's the first stuff he's going to say, say back to me. He's going to be like, "You knew this was wrong, didn't you?" And I'll be like, "Yeah, yeah." I knew that was wrong. You know, but it's not often that's the case. I mean, everyone has those times where, um, you know, you make something that you're absolutely 100% proud of and the first person that sees it that, you know, really knows knife making and knives will find something wrong. Yeah, that, that you happened. Want, you yeah. Want, yeah, you want, you want the reality check uh, in life. Um, take your knife past um, Sean McIntyre or... Peter Del Rasso and and tell them to give you feedback on it. And I guarantee you that you're going to come out with a list of things to fix or do better next time. And you're going to feel gutted for a little while, but then after a while, you're going to go, man, what an opportunity. You know, they didn't say they didn't like it, but they said, here's these things to do better. Exactly. And if team. you're not looking for that stuff, you know, if you're not looking for that stuff, you're never going to, you know, improve or stretch your boundaries i reckon no exactly the two people i i, I run line past as well and peter always says i don't know the first thing about barrel knives but and then he'll start ripping into them and, <laughs> and 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 he's got an eye that's um you know it's i mean i've got an eye like a busted cock and 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 peter's eyes are, are much better than mine so he's actually seeing things in them that um you know, and I look at that and think, oh, I, rem- I, I know what caused that problem and I didn't even know it was a problem until now, but I know what to do to fix it. And, you know, my next one didn't have that. You know, it had a t- totally different problem, but 
you know, at the, you know, at the end of the day, as you say, that's how you improve. Take it on board. Yeah. And it could awesome. be simple things um, like with your equipment that cause a, cause a repetitive issue on your knives and stuff that you're not really aware of until someone like Peter or Sean or one of the other guys has a look and says, you know, let's let's go for the classic. Your, your plunge lines don't match up very well. And you go, oh, well, it seems to be, you know, everyone's the same. Um, what what would you try and say to look at for that? And it could be that you don't use um, a file guide. Um, you're more a traditionalist and you want to just do it by eye. So at least they get a file guide. So you try with a file guide, things improve. It could be things like um, one of the batches of belts that I got weren't cut as clean on one side as the other. And I had a series, a couple of knives came out and they were like, the shittiest plunge lines I've done in years and I couldn't work for, work out what it was for the life of me. And um, I was talking to Ian Stewart saying I was going crazy and he said, I'll oh, just flip your belt over and do one plunge side, get the clean cut, flip your belt over and do the clean cut on the same, effectively the same side of the belt, but on the other side of the machine. And that bloody well worked and that's what it was. You know, the biggest culprit I found with the consistent mistakes happening from the tool a lot of people don't get, don't check their platen, their flat platen. But over time, yep. they wear down. And the, the yep. side that you push the most, that's that's going to have a hole. That's going to have a divot in it. And when you when you see when you see some knives and they have the constant divot at the same spot, and usually that's the case from the, the platen not not being true anymore. Yeah, I, I had that I had that problem with my earlier knives, and then one day I'm like, oh, there's there's a there's a divot here. So. Yeah, so you can get that fixed by either buying a carbide platen or one of those high temp glass or ceramic tiles or something on there and, you know, keep an eye on it because even that stuff's going to wear out over time. Oh, yeah. yeah, it does. Probably, probably a little slower than uh, a mild steel platen. Yeah, the yeah. platen's pretty easy thing to dress as well. So you know, if you if you find that it's got a dish in it, you can you can you can grind it or sand it back if your grinder's out of action, so that it's uh, at least serviceable um, to get you out of a pickle. But yeah, it, there's there's no real substitute for the carbide. So what else is um what else has been happening in um, the week since we last talked? Anyone? Um, had any revelations oh, or got, anything crazy going on? I got a new machine. Um, you know, again. a new tool. Again. A new tool. There's something, again. you yeah. know, I, I mightn't make a lot of knives, but shit, I make a lot of tools to make knives and I get a lot of tools to make knives. And that's it. <laughs> I was that, going to say, you have, you have a lot of tools to make knives. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a pretty good workshop, but at the end of the day, um, you know, I've been in every bulk buy. <laughs> so, yeah, I've, right. I've, I've done a lot. Let's let's just let's just pause right there for one fucking moment, <laughs> and I've got to swear here because I want to go back a second to where I hear a little thing saying I've got a pretty good workshop, you know. <laughs> well, it's not bad, is it? Um, I mean, I'm 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 yeah. I'm going to say I'm fairly lucky, but I'm not really. I'm fairly indebted <laughs> to the bank. That's what I really am. Yeah. <laughs> but but I figure, um, fuck it, I can't take it with me. Um. <laughs> You know, I, I'd rather live my life where I can walk into my workshop and do what I love without the stress of uh, not being able to fit in my workshop, which was the problem before. Corey, yeah. what do you have in your shop? What, what, what sort of equipment do you have in your shop? Um, 
Oh, let's go on a little bit of a tour. There's two fly presses, numerous drill two presses. Two fly presses. Yeah, well, oh, well, <laughs> well, you know, one of them's set up for stamping and the other one's not set up at all, but I'm going to set that up for doing some blacksmithing sort of stuff, texturing and things like that. Um, I've got, uh, let me think, oh, you know, the usual woodworking gear, but I've also got a bandsaw variable speed, the metal wood um, jet bandsaw. We did a bolt buy on recently. We've got one running on them at the moment. Then um, I've got a Gibson 72, which is a beautiful grinder, best I've used. Um, and then I've got the surface grinder, which I've done. A, you know, that's a funny story in itself. I've um, done a belt conversion on that, but it basically didn't cost me anything. Uh, it got thrown in when I bought an EDM machine in an auction at a whim. It was uh, it was smashed up and broken, and I I basically sold the EDM for what I paid for both, and then I I worked on this thing and got it running. And I won't tell you it didn't cost that much to do, but it probably took about three weeks out of my life because it had fallen down on the front, and it's a bit you've seen it, Kev. It's a it's probably what yeah, half a ton right. of machine. Easy. Yeah, and you know half a ton yeah. of machine landing on all the control knobs. Um, <laughs> wasn't pretty but you know I, I i like a tinker and that one's now running we've got the little sandblaster radius master and um various polishing sanding disc grinders that sort of thing mill lathe um in the couple of power hammers yeah well yeah a couple of power hammers um <laughs> you've got a power hacksaw i love my power hacksaw it's it's a that you know the old gear is just something about it and this new one is this new one is a power file so it's, a, it's what's called a filing and sawing machine or a die filer. And it's basically, it is basically a power hacksaw, but it's mounted vertically. You can put files in it. It's got a table uh, that you can, you know, put your work on that you're filing and file to the line. So the Americans call them die filers. Europe and uh, in, in UK, they're known as filing and sawing machines. And, um, geez, it's just, it's just a really old, beautiful piece of 1950s, machinery architecture and you know if i don't get any use out of it i still like having it in my shop yeah it's a very cool bit of equipment i'm i'm pretty pretty impressed with it yeah i mean it for what is it is a half a ton machine it, it weighs 520 kilos according to the manual and this is the great thing about the world today guys you buy a machine like that in you know 20 years ago and it was like you were living in the dark you didn't know anything about it you couldn't get a manual you you were living in the dark now, 10 minutes of Googling, you've got a manual, the instruction manual, you've got all the information off YouTube about the different machines and what, how they work, and you, you basically train yourself on anything. So I'm, yeah, I'm pretty comfortable with that. I, I'm pretty happy that um, I bought it, to be honest. I mean, at the end of the day, I got it for 300 bucks, so it's not, um, oh. you know what I mean? You'd be, hard pressed, you'd be hard pressed not to just pick it up and wrap it up in... Um, tarp if you got it at that price anyway. Well, that's it. Well, I didn't pick it up. I rang because it was in Newcastle. So I rang the uh, Newcastle boys and uh, Sausage Man picked it up for me. So Sausage, <laughs> yeah. Jamie, Bishop. <laughs> Jamie Bishop picked it up and drove it down for me, and uh, um, which was mighty is kind there, of is, there, is there anything the Sausage Man can't do? That's it, what I want to know. Oh, he's oh a man. He, he's, a, he's a legend. Uh, just before Blade Show, I went in the shed. I turned my VFT. And all of a sudden, he started making like silly noises, like as if my VFT had a fucking diarrhea. And all of a sudden, all of my VFT was shut, so I had no grinder. This is like a week before the Blade Show. And I called him, and he was like, okay, I'll be there in the morning. Or 
he came in, he fixed it. Then by my VFDs controlling both of my disc grinder and my belt grinder, after a couple of days, the connection of the disc grinder fa failed. And I was like, I'm, I'm grateful. I'm, I'm not going to make a fuss about it. I'll just work through it. And he asked me how my grinder was working. I said, look, man, it's great, but my disc grinder is not responding. He's like, okay, I'll be there in a couple hours. This guy left whatever he was doing, just came and fixed my grinder. So shout out to Sausage Man. Uh, he, he saved the blade show for me. What what can so you say, have, though? What can you say about a yeah. guy that at every event and show that we go to in Australia, and I've got to admit I was let down in America, but that we won't, we won't harp on that, a guy that walks around with food for everyone. You know, just yeah. walks around with a with a with a fry pan full of sausage, um, for all the exhibitors and looks after people that you know. When you're at a show, you stand there talking. You look at your watch and it's four o'clock in the afternoon. But Jamie, with Jamie around, um, you know, he looks after all of us and he's he's just genuinely a great guy. Didn't expect anything in return. Um, yeah, I know I made it worth his while, but obviously, but um, you know, he, he would have done it anyway. You know. Yeah, that's it. So well, yeah, shout out to Jamie. Sausage Man Forge is his uh, Instagram. So I think it is. Is that right? Better get that right. Yeah, Sausage Man Forge. Yeah, he was in my shop last weekend. We did some seminar. He has a great footage of it because I was forging the steel and all of a sudden Jamie started laughing. I'm like, you okay, mate? What's happening? I didn't understand what was happening. Then I saw the video. Throughout the video, you see all the molten flux, all the borax was like, Skirting all the way to his face, and he was burning his beard and all that. So all the footage is still on his on his Instagram. You can you can see in a slow motion. It looks like he's getting shot in the face with the molten borax. Awesome. Yeah, I'm just looking on his channel now. There's a picture of me with my filer and smiling from ear to ear. I'm pretty excited. Anyway, never mind. You're there too, Mert. <laughs> I'm trying to uh, find speaking, of Insta speaking of Instagram, guys, I just want to make sure everybody's aware now. Uh, our Instagram page is active now. Uh, the Knife Making Down Under podcast on Instagram. So I just activated the page. I posted a picture of us on uh, from the Blade Show. And soon we'll be doing more Instagram posts. And So if you have any cool stories, if you have any cool pictures, please tag us there as well so we can share your stories and share what you're doing. I've got a lot of uh, I've got a lot of pictures there that I haven't sent because I've had a bit of a technical issue, um, but they're of uh, various pictures of the guys down there in the pit at various stages of the evening. I think I've got Kev under a table and Henning being Henning and Mareko and <laughs> just uh, general chaos really. Oh, and a, maybe a little video of um, of uh, Kev capturing uh, the arm wrestling championships in the pit for the Instagram stuff as well. Um, tag us in there, especially if you're an Australian maker and you're in your workshop um, doing what you do. Tag us in some photos. Um, let's let's get a bit of um, publicity out there for Australian makers. Uh, doesn't matter what you're working on, just just jump in and have a go. Try and uh, help each other out a bit. Um, the other thing I was going to say was with Sausage Man, um, he he's I believe currently at Everly. Or was it Everly? Because um, through the Knife Art Association that um, runs the, the majority of the shows in Australia, we've got um, Mike Cthulhu out here, who's um, Big Heavy Swords or whatever it is on uh, um, YouTube. Big Giant Currently sword. doing a couple of mm. Big Facebook. Giant Sword. Big well, giant don't sword. pick on me because I couldn't even remember the name of our podcast last week. So We didn't have a name last <laughs> week. 
<laughs> What's the name of the podcast again? <laughs> Big Giant Swords. That's where he's from. So there's some guys at Everly at the moment um, making some Big Giant Swords, I believe, which you, is pretty cool. you seen any pictures? I've seen uh, a few random pictures, but nothing nothing completed. It looks like they're having fun. Uh, um, yeah, I saw, Mike... I saw some today. Yeah, there's some... Some big, crazy, stupid-looking swords coming out of that place. Uh, they look like yeah, a lot of fun. I haven't, I haven't looked at the um, anything online too much today. I've been trying to get my shit together. Um, yeah, so that's something pretty cool that the Knife Art Association uh, organised, and he's going to be, although you won't hear this podcast till after it, he was at the Sydney show, and hopefully um, everyone gets a chance to get there and say good day to him. Speaking uh, of speaking good. of people at the Sydney show, mate, I'll be picking up Jim Cooper this week from the airport. I'm picking up. Yeah, the, that's cool. Picking up the guys from he's, he, Paragon and Jim yeah, Cooper. Jim, Jim is, is is absolutely stoked. He's so excited. Um, he's been putting up some stuff on Instagram. Um, he's so happy about coming out here and bringing his family out for the show. Um, I've got a couple of knives that I wouldn't mind him taking photos of. Myself, I'm going to line up for a couple of those, and uh, yeah, we'll see where that takes us. I think I think he's going to be pleasantly surprised at the uptake of um, people getting photos. I uh, I hope so. We I hope we get the support that he deserves. It was a big call from the Knife Art Association to bring him out, uh, but I definitely think it was the right call because, you know, in terms of getting exposure for the Australian knife industry, there wouldn't be too many people. Uh, that could be up there with uh, with Jim Cooper. Yeah, I think. Look, I think between the two, Mike and Jim, Mike with his million subscribers on YouTube, um, if he gives our you know us guys a shout out, us guys as in Australian knife makers a shout out, um, the Sydney Show a shout out, that's going to go pretty far, expansive too. But just in terms of the professional side of the industry, um, hard to go past someone like Jim um, for that for that promotion. No, absolutely. I follow him on uh, follow him on Facebook, and the, the level of work that goes through his hands is quite incredible. And it's not just it's not just the high end stuff. It he just does beautiful photog- photography of of all kinds of knives. So yeah, really fantastic, really fantastic. Hopefully, we'll see some Australian makers getting some recognition that they truly deserve. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the next annual issue of Blade Magazine. <laughs> yeah right. I mean the last one. <laughs> yeah, 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 there'll be yeah. there'll be some there'll be some knives from sure for sure from here. Hopefully I can get three of that three of the nicer ones done so you can take pics. Uh, no no stress. Just got a few days left. I was uh, I was hoping yeah, to no. have my second knife of the year finished, but um, as it's turned out, I haven't even started it. So um, yeah. <laughs> It's all right. You have all the tools, Corin. It's not going to take too long. You have all the yep. tools. I got the tools. I'm going to file it out the next one. <laughs> <laughs> Pure stock removal. <laughs> yeah, old school. Just made, just made off your die grinder, file grinder thing, whatever it is. Well, you've seen me make knives, Kev. You know how much filing's involved in what I do. So, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. and that stuff is going to be unreal. So, I, I don't know if it's going to be worthwhile, I, but I really don't care either. I just fucking like it. <laughs> That's just. Yeah. Just what's that's why it's there. It's a, and my shop, you know, my previous workshop. For those that remember, there'll be quite a few out there that do. Um, everything had to be packed up in there, uh, basically 
up against each other. Everything was on pallets, so you could move it around. And I swore when I built the bigger shop, uh, or when the bank built the bigger shop, the um, that I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't do that again. That I'd have enough space and ever could walk around everything. But uh, well, yeah, I, I'm probably not that far off uh, far off it. it. It you know I can't help myself. Nah, that's it. The bigger the workshop, the more shit you got to build. That's how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, no, all good, all good. And um, for anyone, I guess for anyone that doesn't know, um, like reality, the size of your workshop, jump on Instagram and have a look at the hashtag um, <laughs> Bunning Pickman. Yeah, Go to Bunnings Pickman and have a look at the the photos. <laughs> I think you're the only one that's used that one. So. I think I might have yeah. might have chucked a couple on there. Yeah. It's, I think I've stuck a couple on there. Yeah. You get you get the idea. <laughs> it's a, it's yeah. a good little space for um, for knife making, and I've always um, it's always been a shared space. I love having people there um, making knives as well. So I guess you probably get the same thing um, with the courses, having different people in your shop, like having Jamie in, for example, or having someone other people come and work with you in the shop. I, I get a real kick out of that. Yeah, it is good fun. I just had a friend drop around um, literally just before the podcast. I had to kick him out. Um, and he's, he's keen to come around and make a few more things in the workshop. And it's just good when you have that interest from people. Absolutely. Hey, guys, I have a question. What was the, Corin, what was the first knife you made by yourself? And what he had in the shop back then? Uh, right. First knife I made. Well, I was buying blanks for years, Mert. So I was buying knife blanks. I was buying basically I like the Heller knives. That's cheating though. Well, okay, it's cheating, but that's how I started. <laughs> We're talking 2002, long time ago. And then um, it was getting harder and harder to get the stuff out of the States and the currency fluctuations and everything else. I just got the shits with it. And um, I sold my wife's car and bought a Radius Master. And then I thought, now I've got this Radius Master. Um, it's probably time I learned how to like make blades. So then I started making blades out of saw blades and scrap metal and all the rest of it, and the rest is history. So the first one I made fully ground by myself was a very simple, if anyone's familiar with the Heller range, it was very similar to a Heller Nying, which is a Scandinavian design and, and like a quite a wide but short blade, general purpose, uh, carving, fishing, you know, general purpose Scandinavian grind blade. And then the first one I forged was a um, made out of an old bearing case, and I forged that uh, forged that out, and yeah. So what I had back then was all pretty simple. I had an anvil, I had a gas forge, and a radius master. That was that was what I had. And you, I mean, you don't need that stuff. I mean, it's nice to have, but you don't need it. I just, for me, it, I, I I've always enjoyed the tools as much as the knives. That's my that's the honest truth. Well, do you still have that, that knife, or is it gone, lost? No, I've got one of them. Got the forged one. I, you know, and this is something that's very close to me. Um, I actually gave it to my father-in-law that knife, and um, he committed suicide a few years ago. And uh, I got the knife back, and and I don't want that knife for a number of reasons, but I do want the knife for a number of reasons, and it, that's a very that's a hard question to answer. That one, Mert, to be honest um right. yeah so but it's it, you know it's important in our industry because there's so many people in our industry that suffer from um from varying degrees and and sources of, of mental health problems and 
it's a real thing for all of us. You know, we all know um, we all know the, the the struggles. Some of them are public, and some of them are not so public. And we've heard stories of the guys that, uh, uh, for example, PTSD, ex services that are in our industry, and, and you know, there's a heck of a lot of them. And and you know, they've they've put in their put their lives to a, you know a good cause for the community. You know, fighting uh, in various places in the world, or or um, as police or ambulance officers, and when they come out of those those services, um, they they're in a really bad way. They've got the post traumatic stress disorder, and they need something to put their mind to. And and for them, knife making can be a really positive outlet. And I would just you know, <laughs> for me, it, we didn't get the opportunity to help. You know, and I just you know that makes me. Um, no, no, yeah, I don't really don't want to talk about that. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough too, man. Yeah. yeah. What was your first night by yourself, Kevin? Um, I'm similar to Corin. Well, didn't use blanks, but um, I had a really small space in my current garage where um, I had to move things out, put things back, you know, Tetris everything each time I wanted to do it. But my first... My first knife I made myself, I used um, an old file, uh, forged out a, um, you know, let's go and say with artistic license, a Tanto-style blade. Oh, no. Probably probably more of a Quaken-style blade. Long and pointy, basically, the fucking thing was. Um, and I had my first, my first grinder that I used at home in my workshop was a, um, a belt sander that I stuck in my vice and ran upside down and you'd put like a very small amount of pressure on it and it would bog down and stop. So my first knife had a real cool convex grind. Um, like it, it wasn't hollow and it wasn't flat. It was definitely just a convex ground thing. Um, and then I put on some, you know, I don't know, cheap scales, Bunnings, Bunnings timber scales. Um, it was my first crack at. I did a knife course initially and learned how to do a basic sort of forging and stuff. But this this was my first go on my own, and I did a basic sort of handle on it, and um, it was all right. But I don't have it anymore. I don't know what happened with it. I think I gave it away. Um, I didn't. You know, it was all right, but didn't really hold too much sentimental value to hang on to it for me. So. Um, yeah. What about you, Matt? What was your first one on your own? Uh, first on my own, this was probably a couple of weeks after I'd done a course with Keith. So I'd done a course with Keith and we made a small kitchen knife. And I'm like, yeah, this is a hobby that I want to do. So I, while I was at Keith's place, we profiled a little paring knife. So we only profiled it, but we didn't have time to heat treat it. So I just gave me a little the, the blank. So when I went home, I made a I made a forge out of the old barbecue we had. So I made a charcoal forge. So I heated in a charcoal forge, and I didn't have grinder. My grinder was a palm sander. For my first two or three nights, that's worse than mine. (laughs) That's worse than yours because, like, (laughs) I had this little shitty palm sander in my hand. Like, I'm going like from side to side, and (laughs) the sandpaper falls off. And after probably like three hours of grinding, and maybe like only grinding half mil, I was like, fuck this. Uh, I end up taking like just sandpaper and use my DMT. I did DMT the. 
diamond embedded uh, metal thing that actually that's used for thinning the uh, blades or flattening the stones. I use my DMT, a lot of elbow grease. And I think like that, that thing took me like uh, maybe 30 to 40 hours. And I used to read on the <laughs> forums like, oh, you don't need power tools. Only thing you need to make is a knife is like files. And like, no, no, this is uh. bullshit. It, it took me 40 hours and it, it was ugly. It, I only had two sets of sandpaper. I bought a 180 grit and I bought 1500 grit. I was like, the, the, the ones in the middle, nah, you don't need them. I even did a hand sanded, but I only did like a one dodgy 180 hand sanding. Then I went straight to 1500. So all you see is like a mirror polish surfaces with like deep 180 scratches. Oh, it was ugly. <laughs> I had some, some, some burden. It was, it was my second full tank knife. And I ended up, it was sharp. It was, it was cutting well, but. I ended up giving to a friend of ours because she saw me cut a tomato. I was like, oh, this is really sharp. And she's a family friend of ours. Yep. I said, look, just just have it. Because after after seeing the knife a couple days, I was like, no, this is an ugly knife. I just want to get out of my I don't want to I don't want to see this knife again. Please take it, take it out of my sight. Thank you. That's funny. Yep. That palm sander. I'm, I'm just still picturing you. <laughs> With your little, with your little hand sander. Oh man, and and the stupid thing will the sandpaper will just like if I hit the blade, all of a sudden the sandpaper will fly and it'll go like the neighbor's yard or it will just fly on the top of the on the roof and I'll have to get a new new sandpaper. Oh man, it was. Whew, I'm glad those days are gone. I'm not using palm sanders or multi tool. After after that, I use multi tool, but man, there's there's nothing like using a good grinder. Yeah, no, I went. No, I, I, nah, I had the multi-tool following the um, sander, which was only marginally better. Yeah, and then I was fortunate enough to get a second-hand two by seventy-two, but it was single-speed underpowered thing as well. But it made a fairly remarkable difference to the whole process. Um, and then, obviously, after that, I bought my Radius Master, and now I've got a couple of. Um, the shopmate 48s in the workshop as well, so kind of lucky now. Yeah, the shopmate 48. Yeah. That's the noob grinder. That's my baby. The noob. The noob. I still call it the noob. Yeah. <laughs> I bought. I bought it as the noob. It's going to stay the noob, you bastards. It's always a noob to me, mate. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> and you sell the fucking things. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Ah, oh, fuck. You know. I mean, it all started as a bit of a joke, and and at the end of the day, mate, I'm quite happy with that. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's not a joke anymore. But not anymore. There's uh, no. we're snowed under at the moment, mate. We're five days behind getting orders out. You can just only imagine how many orders are sitting there. I've got six people packing. It's unbelievable. It's a busy yeah, time, wow. busy time of year for us, of course, in the gas industry, being winter. But um, yes, no, nah, it's 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 not a good customer experience at the moment, and uh, working hard to try and get on top of it. Yeah, I'm just going to wait till they come to the show and see if I've got any money to buy anything this time round. Sell some knives, my friend. Sell some knives. <laughs> yeah, the second happened. you sell knives, you're like, oh, I sold knives. I'm like, oh, I need belts. I need some <laughs> steel. I need more steel as well. I might as well. <laughs> uh, we'll have spare yeah. all. We'll have a two two trucks of gear there, so it's a big show, and you know we I'm <laughs> I'm committed to uh, supporting the knife industry, and so definitely Gamaco is as well. So by default, um, so we we uh, obviously 
book out the biggest space at the Sydney Knife Show. We've got, in fact, just about every show in Australia. I think Gamaco is always the biggest sponsor and supporter. So we go for the platinum sponsorships and, um, you know, we do our, do our bit to put back in as well. Make sure the shows happen. So is it true that you're actually parking your truck in the venue this time? That That is, as of today, that is the plan. Um, they assure me it's going to happen. Uh, so are you going to have the truck in the room? There's load limits for the ramp and things, and there's yeah. some hurdles to to jump over. Yeah, the truck will be in the room. That's they're going to they've got it all. Look, that's the plan. Okay, I'm not sure how it's going to yeah. end up. I'm fairly sure I know what's going to happen. We'll leak oil all over the carpet and have to replace a two hundred thousand dollars worth of carpet. <laughs> And it'll be a nightmare, but look, it's going to look pretty impressive. Have you seen the truck since we had it? Um, since we had the modifications done. Modifications. Yeah. Tell me about it. Well, we 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 took an old. We're basically many many years ago. It was always my stories always start that sort of time frame. Um, we had a, a guy here that suggested a really good idea would be to go around the bush with a with a van, which we we just got an old bus, an old coaster. We put gas components in it. We drove around the bush and we handed out uh, sold gas components out of the back of the van. So kind of like a Snap-on Tools truck, but before Snap-on Tools were out here. And then we um, we just progressed from that to to big Pantac trucks, the biggest we could get. And the the one the, then after that, because it was hard to get truck drivers that knew how to sell gas equipment, we ended up going to large vans, which is what we use at the moment. But we had this truck sitting in the yard. It had a custom built body for the purpose of selling gas equipment and um rob morton from tandy leather joined us and he walked out the back and said oh we could use that for shows and we took it to a couple of shows but it just just didn't work it's too cramped it wasn't wasn't spacious enough the shelving was not suited to what we wanted and um i don't know i must have been delirious and i agreed to uh, some modifications they cut out the side wall so it folds down it's got a roof that folds up it's got a handrail and stairs and you get up there it's a nice little showroom so we can take it to all the events um and it's all packed up ready to go so yeah happy days really uh, it's like a, it's like a food truck that sells steel huh yeah yeah like exactly exactly all we need is a menu you know what's on the menu today oh w2 and uh we'll have some you know 5160 or whatever yeah happy yeah. days it's probably probably going to be more like one of those soup vans you're going to have a whole lot of broke knife makers hanging around begging for stuff oh, see what well. they can get sales on <laughs> probably got some scraps we can throw on. we'll see how we go always <laughs> always do we we get a lot of stuff um we get everything steel right uh, i learned a long time ago the only way to cut steel to do it professionally and commercially is water jet you'll find a yep. lot of people will cut steel different ways and they will defend their position to the hilt because you know it's cheaper and that's that's yeah. really what it comes down to. Water jet's not the most the cheapest way to cut steel, but um, yeah, we we water jet all our steel, and as a result, we end up with offcuts, and those offcuts are always around. So it's worth uh, when you come into our store or even at the shows, just asking what they've got in the offcuts bin, because like a, a thirty mil piece of steel, which is two mil undersized from being thirty two, we can't sell. I mean, there's no. I'm yeah. not going to set up a product for it, so it just goes in the offcuts bin, and you can pick it up. I I went down there the other day to went go to a mate's house. If you follow my Instagram, we made a bit of mosaic Damascus. That was made out of a piece of 15 and 20 offcut and a piece of 1075 offcut out of the bin, and so those 
those get sold there through the shop and uh, and you know stay tuned always always have a look while you're in here because uh, i don't want those off cuts <laughs> and someone may as well make something out of them yeah yeah that's it. so those guys that want the scraps yeah. we're there to help <laughs> got you covered just like kitchen it's, there's there's no such thing as scrap it's just extra it's not scrap let's just change it just like kitchen it's not scrap just extra extra steel <laughs> Uh, fair enough. Too. Where do you where do you think where do you think potato peels came from on the menu? Potato skins, yeah, right. <laughs> now I know. So, no, and yeah. so it's a it's a pretty good thing. Look, it sets up real quick for us, and it packs up quick. And and they're two important things. Um, you know, I pay my staff. They're all they're all on, um, you know, Australian wages. So overtime, double time, uh, Sunday afternoon. Last thing I want to be doing is paying double time to a guy that's there at eight or nine o'clock at night, still packing up a show, and they don't want to be there either, by the way. So, you know, the shows are uh, good, a good thing. The trucks hopefully be a good thing for us. We've had it since Ironfest, so since April. Yeah, Iron Ironfest um, was like I said the first time I saw it, and it, it's a big step up, man. Like it's actually inviting to go up there now and look at the products and take your time. And you can get, you know, I think at one stage we had about five or six people up on the platform looking at stuff and you still didn't feel like you were squished into this little thing. So Yeah, well, no, we'll let's wait and invest, see. Good investment, mate. Let's wait and see how it goes at Sydney when there's 60 people up there. But anyway, never, <laughs> never mind. That's the way it is. You need, some, a, you, it, need a bouncer, you need a bouncer on the door with a clicker. i, I got to be oh, checking, yeah, people. checking people in and out. You, I probably wouldn't joke yeah, about that. There is a wait limit, so... Yeah. Yeah. You'd be but, like, you can't come in here with no shoes on, mate. No, that's right. Yeah, get, get a collar, get a fucking job, cut your hair. Yeah, yeah right. With um, yeah, no, it's, look, it, honestly, it, it it looked pretty. It looked okay when we had the job done at Ironfest, and you you would have seen it there. It had uh, it just looked like an old gas truck with gas sign writing and um that folded yep. it out. Now, it, since it got vinyl wrapped, uh, the whole truck's like um they got it vinyl wrapped in gloss black with big um you know blacksmithing and knife making motif down the side and yeah, it looks pretty swanky to be honest yeah all the supplier logos and things like that got put on there yeah it's pretty nice yeah pretty nice that's pretty cool so, so what's um obviously we've got the show coming up on friday it's friday for certain people to bump in and everything um what's on the cards between now and then for people between now and friday or after Oh, just prep, uh, now Friday, man. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to hear Mert shit himself. <laughs> it's all yours, Mert. Oh, man. I was, do you remember, like, one month ago, I was talking to Kev, hey, man, like, this time, this time it's going to be a whole different because every year, Sydney show, I finish up in my shed, like, midnight. I pack everything. I drive to Sydney. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. By the time I fall asleep, it's 4 o'clock. Then I wake up with the three hours of sleep. And first day of the Sydney show, I'm like a zombie with three hours of sleep. I'm like, no, no, no I'm not going to do this year. And I was saying to Kev, look, man, I'm going to be there Friday afternoon. Well, the chances you are... You better be. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not looking great, man. Hey, I, booked, great. I, I booked the room Friday and Saturday night, mate. If you're there Friday night, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I'll, put that, um, I'll put the security dead latch on there. Yeah. yeah, that chain. Well, before 
before we did the podcast, before we started recording this podcast episode today, um, I was just finishing off my sheaths and polishing up guards, and I've got to go back and, um, you know, bit bit sort of OCD. I'll repolish the handles, um, and then I've got to sharpen all my knives. So just when you get to that stage where you go, man, I'm on track. This is easy. You've just sort of, like I said, with Mert, you write your to-do list on the board and there's more shit on there than you think and you're far out, man. So next few days are, like, for me anyway, are going to be all the tail end stuff, the cleaning up, the sharpening, um, buying things like bags and stuff to give, if people buy a knife, to put it in a bag so that you can, you know, they're not walking around the show um, with, a, with a knife in a sheath because they're not allowed to technically. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, a little bit of admin stuff, but um, yeah, busy, busy. And then we can then we can get together and talk shit on Friday, Saturday, and part of Sunday. That's pretty much oh, what yeah. happens. Yeah. yeah, I'm not looking forward to clean my shop, man. Like my my bins are all flowing. I keep I keep emptying, but my bins are full, and I got sandpaper scraps. And usually by Thursday. I don't even use the bins. Like if if I'm doing sandpaper, I just like throw it on the floor. And mon- not Monday, but the the Tuesday after the show, I do a big shop cleanup. And this year's shop cleanup, this this show's shop cleanup is going to be ugly. Probably have like a 20 kilos of dust sitting on the benches and on the floor. I got yeah. sandpaper and shit everywhere. So yeah, well, I'm I'm I'm, t- I'm teaching I'm teaching a one-on-one class on Monday. Um, yeah, thankfully it's with a fellow, uh, Rob French, who's a knife maker down oh, yeah. in Tassie. Yeah, sure. While he's up here, yeah, while Rob's up here, he asked if he can come down and, and do some stuff in the workshop. So, yeah, nice um, guy. I hope it's going to get a little bit of a cleanup, but I hope he understands, uh, Monday when he comes in that it's, it's not going to be as good as it would normally be. Just kick it all under the benches, mate. That's all you do. There's no room. <laughs> <laughs> I got two roller doors. Depends on which way the wind's blowing. I roll one up and blow blow everything out. Yeah, fair enough. That's, that's the easiest way to clean it. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, it's been good talking with you. Probably should call book call it a day. We're all we're uh, all pretty busy. I've got to get my uh, my business and strategic plan finished, which was supposed to be done in June. So, I've been working on that, and oh. I know it doesn't sound as exciting, but uh, that's my day. Yeah. I have a very strategic nah. plan. It's head head down, bomb up. That's the yeah. Make more noise. Get shit yeah. done. Yeah, make noise. <laughs> well, guys, yeah, it's, it's, it's great talking to you, and I hope everybody will enjoy this episode. And so, uh, looking forward for the next. If one. anybody following us on Instagram or Facebook, if we have a Facebook page, when you're looking for us, if you're following us, how's about you give us some suggestions? What you want to hear? Is there anything you want us to talk about? If you've got any questions for us. Um, you know, we, uh, we'll get structured and have all fancy segments and do all of that down the track. But at the moment, we're a little bit free and easy. Um, how about you give us some ideas, tell us what you want to hear, and um, we'll go from there. Thanks very much for downloading and listening to the podcast, and hopefully you get something out of it. What's the name of the podcast again? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Not making down under? Yes, that's it. Yeah. Is that it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We promise to remember the name of our podcast by the sort of fifth or sixth episode too, if we <laughs> yeah. get that far. 
I hope so. <laughs> Never mind. All right. Yeah. Thanks very much, guys. Have a good one. Righto. Thanks, See you, everyone. Bye, mate. See you.